Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Nawaz Habib. Hello, Stephen. How are you? Hey, hey, Dr. Nawaz. I'm good, man. Thank you so much for having me here. You know, in this interesting time of COVID, it's always so cool to have a window and get to talk to someone like yourself and then uh, and then have that shared with, with your network. So it's, you know, it's not in my, just sitting in my condo by myself. So it's awesome <laughs> to be here. Thank you. I'm really excited about today's conversation. It's obviously a little bit more of a sensitive topic. It's something that not everybody feels super comfortable talking about. Mm-hmm. I'm going to speak from experience. I'm very vanilla in my, I guess, in my, in my history and, and, and in my, in my experience. And I, I want to be able to learn more about how we can use our experience in our sexual health and our sexual lives to be able to upgrade not only our health, but how we're living and how we're experiencing our day-to-day lives. And I think you're the perfect person to have this chat with. So I'm super excited for our conversation today. Thank you. I want to get started with a little bit about you, what your story is and how you came into sexology as a practice. Yeah, it definitely wasn't because my high school counselor was like, Stephen, I think you'd be a really good sexologist. <laughs> I, I'll, I'll give you the, the kind of the Coles Notes version of it. There were three major incidents when I was growing up. The first was um, I grew up Roman Catholic. So it was, you know, not only is sex bad, you got to wait till marriage, but even thinking about sex was bad. So, you know, I went, you know, to church and was like, oh, I'm going to be a good Catholic and, and a good boy. And, and then I go to church and be like, okay, I'm not. I wasn't having sex at that time, but it's like, I don't even think about sex. Don't even think about sex. And then I go outside and I see billboards and movies and books and magazine covers and all this stuff, which was sex, 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 sex. And it was like, why, how, and I then don't think about this in this, like this guilt and this shame. And then, and, and just not understanding why that was, where it was celebrating, it was okay in some areas, but it wasn't in others. So I was very, very young. And it was just, didn't quite understand what that was all about. You know, fast forward to, you know, I'm, I don't know, 13, 14 years old, I'm in grade nine. And uh, I had found out that a neighborhood friend, a girl that I had played with in the neighborhood, had been sexually assaulted and abused from the age of like seven to 13 by her babysitter. And um, I remember that hitting me. So I'm in school and, and I left. And I went home and my mom was home at that time. And I remember I was crying and I was so upset about it. And, you know, my mom was great with me, uh, but I was just, I was just so, so angry. And so it just, I didn't quite know what to do with all of this. And so this girl came over to to talk to me and to say, you know, Stephen, listen, like you've been a great friend. It wasn't about you. And what was there for me, Dr. Navaz was, I wanted to do something about it, but she was two years older than me. So like a seven-year-old telling a five-year-old, I don't have the cognitive functioning to know which way is up at that point. But there was something that was there that like not on my watch, this shouldn't have happened. And if there's something that I can do about that, that would, that would actually make a difference. Now, the third incident happened when uh, my parents love it when I share this story. So I grew up in, in Vancouver, BC, and have always loved nightclubs, always been a huge dancer, always loving that. But I got to a particular age when I was going to nightclubs and I was like seeing my friends like sisters or like little brothers. And I was like, ah, maybe I should like 
try a different track, but I love that energy. I love hyperstimulation. Um, so I was like, I'm going to try working in nightclubs. So uh, my, my first job was working in a place called the Wild Coyote. Uh, yeah, it was the real name of a place <laughs> by the airport uh, in Vancouver. And I was a topless male waiter. And, you know, there'd be male strippers and in Vancouver, they go full Monty and I'd be, you know, standing there topless and with like drinks or shooter tray. And I remember AJ, who was the MC of the event said, Stephen, all you got to do is stand there and talk and either they're going to buy drinks to shut you up or they're going to buy drinks because you're cute. And I was like, okay, done. But Navaz, what that was for me was a window as a, I'm like 20. 20, 21, somewhere in there, like a window into female sexuality that I had never seen before. Because this was a, a time and a place and it was safe for, because what they did from eight o'clock to 10 o'clock, women only would come in and there'd be like men there and dancing and naked men and see the natural raw expression of female sexuality and desire was, was flabbergasting for me because in society, I had never seen like women, generally speaking, have been given more permission to be emotional and men have been given more permission to be sexual. So this kind of flipped it on its head. And I was like, holy, there's 300 women, like just like losing their minds and having the best time. And I was like, this is powerful. There's something palpable here that isn't outside in the world. So that was something that was really curious about me. So those were the, the three things that led me to like be very curious about sex and consume a lot of books and resources and just fascinated with how it all works together. Now, do you want me to share my personal story? 100%. 100%. Yeah. So my personal story is, is I moved to Toronto now 17 years ago. And I moved here. I remember coming here. I was like, uh, this isn't about women. It's not about sex. It's not about relationships. It's about me figuring out who I am and the difference that I want to make in the world. And then the, the, the man that I want to become and the life and the lifestyle that I want to live and have that from be a, like a generative place or a creative place rather than staying in Vancouver and following kind of what everybody else did. I just wanted the freedom. Freedom is a huge one of my, one of my core values. So I came here, you know, no women, no sex, uh, no, no relationships. That's not going to be my focus. And so three months later, I was dating Miss Toronto, um, which uh, so clearly failed <laughs> by uh, my plan. But she was Miss Toronto. So by default, I would tell my mom that I was Mr. Toronto. And my mom was like, no, Stephen, that's not how that works. So I was like, OK, whatever. <laughs> but three months into that relationship, I cheated on her. Now, I didn't have sex with anyone. I didn't kiss anyone. But I was bartending at that time and I met this girl, went back to her place. She had been drinking a lot. And so I don't interact with, you know, just I want people sane, sober, you know, in a good frame of mind. Um, but I'm a huge exhibitionist, always have been. And so got naked, masturbated, orgasmed, cleaned up, put my clothes on, gave her a hug and left. Now, what was interesting about this is on my way over there. I was sober, so I drink, I, I, excuse me, I don't drink. I've never had a drink in my life. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to go cheat on my girlfriend. Like, this is going through my head. And then I cab back to my place. I was like, it like hit me like a ton of bricks. It was just like this huge, oh, this weight on my chest. And I was like, what the F did I do? And, you know, I, I was just beside myself. She was away for the weekend. She came back and I told her and I had no expectation that the relationship was going to continue. But she said, no, Stephen, I love you. I want to continue dating you. So I was like, okay. 
And so we continued dating, but I wanted to understand why I did what I did because I was raised to love, honor, and respect women. And clearly I didn't do that. You know, if my, my mom asked my dad to like cut off his arm, he'd be like, Hey, which one right or left. And so I wanted to, to, to learn more, to understand that. But so I talked to my girlfriend at the time and she didn't want anything to do with that. She liked the way we look. She liked the, like the loud, the vivacious, the outgoing, uh, you know, like going to clubs. I love dancing, like that whole role. She didn't want to kind of deal with like the, the underbelly of, of me and kind of the darkness. You know, anyone, let's talk to your pastor. Let's talk to your friends. Let's talk to a therapist. And she was like, no, she's like, I don't want anything to do with that. So we continued dating and three months later, she broke up with me. And she was, you know, doing a lot of things and, and stepping out. And, and so she was moving out, starting her own business and going back to therapy for some stuff that she had dealt with as a kid and said, Stephen, you know, I'm extending myself so much that if you violate my trust again, I don't think I'll be able to recover. So Dr. Baz, she broke up with me and that led me into what I call my deep, dark and dangerous days. So I was in a depression for about 18 months and I wouldn't get out of bed. I was working at a nightclub in Toronto called This Is London. At that time, I was managing that. And it was open one night a week. So I'd go in one day um, to do admin work. And then I'd go in on Saturday nights. And I was just struggling. And, and there was so much pain and guilt and self-hatred and self-punishment in that time. It was just one of the most challenging times of my life. I, I didn't know how to get out of it. And the next kind of holiday season, I went back to Vancouver and my parents knew that I had been struggling and I shared with them, you know, what was going on. And uh, I'm sitting, it's New Year's Eve and I had all these parties to go to and I'm sitting at a table, the kitchen table, my parents' place is this round table. My mom's sitting to my left, my dad's sitting to my right. And I just start crying. And my mom starts crying. And my dad, John DeWitt, is just kind of like, what, what is, what is happening here? My dad's the less emotive of, uh, of my parents. And I was just, I just didn't have anything else in me. I've been struggling for so long. And so that night I didn't go to any parties. I went to church and I brought in the new year uh, church. And then the next day I went to a yoga class and it was on the flight from Vancouver back to Toronto that I made the, the choice that I was actually going to reach out for help and get support. Cause I've been trying for 18 months and just wasn't going anywhere. So I worked with a coach by the name of Dr. Tom Preston and a therapist by the name of Barbara Power. And they really worked with me. And I did a ton of work on myself and understood that, you know, there, there's this part of me that loves, honors, and respects women. And then there's this part of me that is kinky and wants to explore multiple partners and, and, and is just fascinated with this world. But I've been taught that this is good. And then this other part is bad. And so in the work that I do, I was able to integrate those two things and be like, well, one is not inherently bad. One is not inherently good, but they're both healthy, natural, normal parts of who I am. But how do I, the next question for me, Dr. Navaz, was how do I integrate those things? So I looked for myself and, and realized I had been kind of reading off this social script of who I was supposed to be as, as, a, as a straight man and how to access sex and look at relationships and stuff like that. And I was like, that's that's garbage. Like I'm good at that. Like I could do all the say right things, say all the right things, go on dates, do all this stuff. Women fall in love with me, but then there'd be drama and upset afterwards. And I was just like, I, I'm done with that. That's gross. That, that doesn't work for me anymore. So I was like, I'm going to throw that out. 
But then it was like, well, what do I substitute in its place? And that's where I came up with what I call my sexual core values. So honesty, respect, and safety. Now, most people, when I talk to them, they're like, oh yeah, I do that with my partner, no problem. I'm like, no, you don't. They're like, yeah, 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 I do. I'm like, no, no, you don't. They're like, no, I'm always honest with my partner and like respect boundaries and we always use condoms. It's like, great, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, first of all, being honest with yourself. And that's what I had to do. I had to be honest with myself, like, this is who I am. And then respect, I had to respect myself enough to be like, hey, I can advocate and share and communicate that with someone else. And if it doesn't work for them, that's cool too. And safety for me was, was important, but it wasn't about safer sex. I mean, that's a, a huge thing. And, and I've worked in a sexual health clinic for a number of years as well, but it was the emotional and psychological safety that was necessary for me because that's what crushed me. It wasn't because I didn't wear a condom and my penis turned green and fell off. It was because like emotionally, I was so depressed and psychologically I was struggling so much. So I was like, okay, these are gonna be my core values, honesty, respect, and safety. They're what I call my triad of trust. And so I still remember there was a, a, a lover at that time and she, she was a dancer and she uh, was from Costa Rica. Now, she called me one day and I'm not gonna do a female Costa Rican accent, but she like called me and she's like, Stephen, are you sleeping with other women? And there was this like pregnant pause. And I said, yes. And there was this other pregnant pause. And she said, I didn't expect you to say that. And I said to her, well, I didn't expect that either, but I just wanna be honest with you and let you know where I'm at. And if that works for you, cool. And then she said, when can you get together next? And in that moment, this whole like world of possibility, this whole realm of possibility opened up and I was like, oh, if I can just say what I'm interested in, what I like, and not be feeling that guilt, shame, and fear around all that stuff and just put it out there and be like, hey, does this work for you? Cool. And if it does, cool. And if it doesn't, that's cool too. And that just allowed so much freedom and so many amazing relationships and so much fun and being able to explore and not, you know, live within this narrative that I had been taught that I had to. And, you know, some of the, the past relationships and lovers that I've had in my life, like I've emceed two weddings of past lovers, I've babysit kids of past lovers. I, they're still in my life because there was such a foundation of that honesty, respect and safety, that trust, that integrity that after the sex and all that other, you know, that evolves, that relationship evolves to these wonderful relationships. And then I was in a place after moving to Toronto that I was like, okay, I need to specialize in an area. I was a speaker at a radio program at a bunch of stuff going on, but it was like, I need to pick an area and focus on. And I was like, I just gone through this massive transformation. And if I can make available this level of freedom for other people, I'm like, that's something that I can commit my life to. Now, it doesn't have to look like anything like my life did, but to be able to, so the program I, I work with people on is called Sex Life Unleashed. So to, to take those restraints off and just be your authentic self and have the type of sex and have that type of connection that you want with your partner, your partners. And that could be if you're married for 25 years, that could be like you're single and you want to explore, explore and go to sex clubs, whatever that is. And so that started my, my academic journey and I, and I went to school and then did a clinical placement, did my doctorate and then have been building, you know, the brand and, and speaking and, and sharing and on social media and 
my online course and, and live immersive experiences and stuff like that ever since. So that's my, I said that was an abridged version, but that was like 15 minutes straight. So I, I'll, I'll be quiet for a little bit. I love every conversation we have and just goes to show the journey that you went through, that you've experienced a lot of what it is that you want to help others not have to go through and, and the things that they can overcome. A really important piece of this, something that, that stuck out to me in your journey, is the idea of creating a safe space. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it goes to show like in those first, in the three stories that you initially shared, the three steps that kind of led you to who you were, mm-hmm. you had the second story where you had that uh, close friend experience uh, the, the trauma that she did. And as well, kind of that third story as well, where it was focused on you wanting to create a really safe space, mm-hmm. a really open space for people to, to speak, and then to go into those core values in that safe space. So the honesty, the integrity, the, the safety. Yeah. I, I love that. And it, it just goes to show that that sex doesn't have to be a negative or, or have a negative connotation to it. That that if we talk about it in an open, honest, immersive and, and positive way, that it is something to be experienced happily and, and without fear of judgment, without fear of whatever else could happen. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And the, the challenge there in lies is that we're not taught how to have those conversations. We don't have those for a lot of people don't have those safe spaces to talk about things. You know, maybe if it's, and I'm going to generalize here, but you know, guys, it's like this like macho thing that we talk about. Um, We don't talk about, you know, what's not working in our sex lives, or maybe our bodies aren't performing the way that we want them to. And, you know, women, it's, it's, you know, talking to their girlfriends and they'll either like celebrate or complain about, you know, guys or their partner or gee, I wish this was. And there's, there's, you know, one of the things I'm committed is to diversify the dialogue in how we talk about sex because communication, I believe it of all the weird, wonderful, wild things that we can do with our mouths when it comes to sex, communication is the most powerful. But again, there's been this absence of it. For a lot of people, it's like, don't ask, don't tell. A lot of people, you know, had maybe some version of sex education that didn't mention pleasure or communication was more fear-based or don't do this. And um, that really didn't serve a lot of people. So, you know, I believe that there's an epidemic of people that are having bad sex or quite frankly, no sex in their life. And, you know, I'm committed to to transforming. I love that idea that, that it, it isn't, uh, an innate thing that we all have. We we don't understand sexual communication and it is something that we have to learn. And it's something that you had to learn as you went through your journey and finally was able to kind of get into where you are now. And I, I'd love to kind of dig into that a little bit more. How yeah. do we talk about sex in a safe space, in a healthy way? How do we talk to our partners? How do we bring this idea up where we don't have that fear of judgment. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think we need to be really honest with ourselves. It goes back to one of my first core values is, you know, and, and, and the listeners here today, you can answer this for yourself is, do you think you're good at communicating about sex? Do you think you're a good communicator? Some people are going to be like, yes, no, maybe so. Uh, or do you think you're a bad communicator when it comes to sex? 
Some people are going to be like, yeah, I suck at it. I avoid it. I run, I hide, I end relationships I do everything. So I don't have to have that conversation. And, and, and I think for a lot of us, we can think, you know, at different times where, you know, where we, we have handled things well, or we haven't. And I think that we're both great communicators at sex and terrible communicators when it comes to sex. I think we're really good at communicating with one person, ourselves. We have all the justifications, all the reasons, all the rationales, all the stories, all the reasons why it's their fault or this happened or this shouldn't have happened or why I can't do this or my body is this, blah, 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 blah. We have all those stories. We communicate and justify for ourselves, you know, the reasons why the, you know, the sex is not happening or not happening the way that we like it. And I like to say that the, the sexual relationship that we have with ourselves is mirrored in the sexual relationship that we have with other people. So when I work with people through, you know, my, my courses and, and my retreats, it's about them developing that relationship with themselves and developing that understanding. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we, going back to the communication piece, it's how do you communicate with yourself? If we take a moment and, and just hit pause and listen, we always have that voice in the back of our head. So I'm just going to hit pause for one second and have everybody like just listen to that voice. So that's the voice that was like, what? How long is it going to go for longer? Is it just going to be dead air? This is a podcast. Isn't it supposed to be engaging? Like what's going on? Who is this? This uh, Dr. Stephen DeWitt guy is a sexologist. I wonder what his sex life is like. Is he straight? Is he gay? What? Like, you know, there's all these questions that are constantly going on for us. And so to be able to like be responsible for that is a big step in moving towards that, that really healthy communication. Cause that is the most important thing is that communication, first of all, with yourself and learning what are those messages that I tell myself that still serve me? And what are those messages that don't serve me anymore? Maybe they served me when I was 13 years old, nine years old or whatever. And I had to, be a good boy or be a good girl or protect myself or whatever that is. But now it gets in my way. I can't have that. That story doesn't serve me anymore. That nine-year-old is still driving the bus. How do I take the wheel back? And so, you know, I think it's so important to, to look at as, as human beings, you know, our greatest desire is to be loved and to be accepted. And our greatest fear is to be judged and made wrong. And so, communication can get stuck and it can get weird and ugly and awkward. And, you know, I can tell you so many stories in about how I miscommunicated or mishandled or, or, you know, wasn't able to communicate the way that I wanted to communicate. But what I want to share with you is a four-step process that I created to make it easier, set that, like you said, that really safe place to have those conversations and greatly increase the chances of you hearing yes. Because I think uh, I can speak for everybody. We'd all like to hear more yeses in their life. So it's called the LITA technique. So L-I-T-A. So if anybody wants to write this down, you know, please, maybe in the show notes, um, L-I-T-A. So it's called the LITA technique. So one of the things uh, that I, when I was doing my research and about communication and sex that was missing is a context. So people kind of use the, what I call the blah approach. They just kind of blurt out whatever's there and there's no context set. So, you know, you sit down, you know, and I'm like, hey, Navaz, uh, you know, I want to spank you. And you're like, what? 
what what is that why how what did i is this punishment is this like what is is this like there can be like so many things there's no context set the second challenge that i saw is it's often a one-way communication someone wants to like just get something off their chest and say something and it's not a co-created that that second person doesn't feel invited or it's safe or included in that conversation that person just kind of blurts that stuff out so that's why I developed the LITA technique. So there's four steps to it, L-I-T-A. So the first step, uh, the first two steps is about setting that safe context. So the L stands for sharing what you like or love about that person or their relationship. Now you may be like, well, I'm new in the relationship, so I don't, I haven't used the L word, so I don't say it. So just about the relationship or the time that you spend together. So again, the first step is sharing what you like or love about that person in the relationship. The I stands for what's important to you. Said another way is like, what are you committed to for the future of this relationship? So when you share those two things, the person can be like, oh, okay. So, you know, Navaz likes and loves me because of this. And, you know, it's important that we have open communication about our sex life because we want to have a great sex life for the rest of our lives. So that sets that safe. So that person could just be like, ah, okay. And then you bring up the T, right? L-I-T. And that's the topic. What do you want to talk about? So you could say, so you share what you like or love. You share what's important, what you're committed to for the future. And then you could say, you know, I want to talk about spanking. But now there's that, there's kind of like those bookends, right? Their mind's not going to like go all over the place. They're like, oh, okay, cool. And then the A, it's actually A to the power of two or A squared because it stands for ask. And there's two questions you're going to ask. The first one you're going to ask if they're open to having that conversation right now because they may not be. And I don't know, Dr. Navaz, if you're anything like me, you know, when someone comes up and they're like, uh, hey, Navaz, uh, do you have some time to talk? I want to talk. And you're like, no. And they keep talking over you. You want to punch them in the throat, right? So you want to be sensitive that your partner may not be in that space to have that conversation. Maybe, you know, the dog ran away, they got their boss yelled at them, their mom's sick, whatever's going on in their life. So you want to be respectful. So you want to ask them, are you open to having this conversation right now? If they say no, don't worry. It's not a code red. Just be like, great. When would be a good time to have this conversation? If they say yes, or if they say no, you say, great. You know, because I'd really love your feedback. I'd really love your thoughts. And that is what brings it in. Now has it be a co-creative conversation, not just you blurting stuff out because you're not happy or awkward or uncomfortable or weird about stuff. And that communication tool is just makes such a big difference for people in their lives and their relationships. And the cool thing about the Lita technique, you don't just have to use it with your partner. I mean, it doesn't have to be about sex. You know, I had this, uh, this great guy who I was speaking in Toronto and he was in the front row. And as a speaker, you always love the people who are like smiling and nodding and making eye contact and loving. So, you know, I could clearly tell he was enjoying what I was talking about. He comes up to me afterwards. He's like, hey, Dr. DeWitt. And I was like, just, just call me Stephen. It's cool. He's like, okay, hey, Stephen. He's like, you know, I really liked that. That Lita technique was awesome. I was like, great, Omar. I'm, I'm happy to hear that, you know, finish things up, sign my books. And then uh, the next day I'm, I'm in my office and, and bing. I get this email alert. So I check it out and it's like from Omar. He's like, hey, Dr. DeWitt. He's like, I used the Lita technique with my boss and it was amazing. And I was like, great for you, Omar. Omar, high five, whatever. And then like three minutes later, bing, I get this other email. I open it up. He's like, oh my God, Stephen, I'm not having sex with my boss. And I just like laughed and I was like, no, it's cool, man. Like I get it. So 
that's one of the most powerful communication tools that I have that I would really, and, and like anything, it takes a bit of practice, but using that in your life can just have the conversations be so much deeper, so much richer. And, and like I said before, increase the chances of, of you hearing a yes than people getting, especially around sex, that the defensive, that judgment, that fear, that, you know, withdraw that, that can often come up in those conversations. I love that. It's, it's so clear the importance of context and, and creating that safe space using the, the tools that you provided here, the Lido technique. Uh, sounds like something that, that we can use in, in so many different aspects of our lives and something that can be particularly useful when we're speaking to a partner about something um, where we don't want to just blurt out what, uh, what we're dealing with or, or what's going on in our head. And, and so I think when there is that incongruency between what you yourself are hoping to achieve or, or what you would like to experience in your sex life, and there is that incongruency with what is actually going on with your partner, bringing it up using that contextualized Lita technique would be a great, great way to, uh, to do that. Yeah, it makes a big difference for people. They love it. I think the, the next kind of important thing here is the importance of language when it comes to sex and the words that we use when we are talking to our partners, when we're talking about sex, mm-hmm. I'm all about kind of the using the right words and, and wanting to uh, create a positive spin or, or a positive experience when it comes to these things. And a lot of us are, are learned or taught to not talk about sex because it is considered negative or taboo or something in that in that realm yeah tell me a little bit about what you've learned over your time uh, as a sexologist uh, in the the words and the language that people can use and, and where we can probably benefit ourselves what are some things we can do about that so I'll take a further step back from where we started from and, and look at a context of if you want to make a difference or improve your sex life or transform it is asking yourself the question, what would make my partner comfortable? And when you come, not what's going to please me, what do I want? What's going to get me off? What's going to get me wet? What's going to get me hard? What's going to get me orgasms? What's going to like, no, is like, what's going to have my partner comfortable? Mm-hmm. And if we come from that place, it's looking, I say sex is a symptom of what's going on in the relationship. And Dr. Vaz, I know this is what you deal with, what's going on in your body, right? There may be comorbid things that are happening in your body you need to deal with. But in my world, you know, what I focus on is a symptom of what's going on in the relationship. Number one, again, like I said, the relationship with yourself. And number two, the relationship with your partner. And if you can't get in their world and look at things from their perspective and just look at from what you want and what works for you, it's going to be really challenging. So for, again, coming from that contextual place is what's going to make your partner feel comfortable. Because someone's got to take that first step. If you're just keep butting heads, you have the same conversation again and again and again. It could be with, you know, the partner you've been with for a long period of time, or you kind of like have this like rotating door of people that are in your life for a particular amount of time and the same things show up again and again and again. So being able to look at, hey, what's going to have them be comfortable? I'm going to take the step first to find out and think about from their point of view, what makes them comfortable. And then often, if you're in a healthy relationship, the person's going to be like, Oh, damn, Nevaz didn't do what he usually does. He was really nice and kind and understanding. And like, I feel more comfortable. I'm going to take a step up. And then you're going to be like, oh, shit, like that? They didn't do that. Like they, and then you can start building off of that. And one of the things to circle back around is language. 
So listen, there's all sorts of, we can do a whole other podcast about language of sex and what that actually means. But one of the, the tenets that I uh, learned when I was a sexual health counselor here in Toronto at the Hassle-Free Clinic is mirror the language that your partner uses. In my situation was, you know, mirror the, the language that the client uses. So there are uh, triggering words and, and let's, be, let's be real. There's a lot of words uh, that are profanity or offensive that come from a sexual context. But if you wanna refer to your uh, body part in a particular way, and the other part I'll add is in a particular realm. So you may go to the doctor and talk about penis and vulva, and when with your partner, you're talking about pussy and cock or pussy and pussy or cock and cock, or, you know, let's keep this open as far as how people, you know, identify their bodies and what they have with what's between their legs. So that's something that, you know, I think is important is understanding that um, mirroring your partner's words is helpful and understanding that they're going to be different in different contexts. The last thing I'll add is, listen, some, sometimes there's triggers. Some word is, brings back bad memories. It, it, it is something that or was instilled with you from a very young age. That is a dirty word or you don't say it or whatever that is. And there's two ways that I approach that. One is obviously respecting boundaries. That's really important. But two is, you know, if this is a word for yourself is like, why is that? Where does that come from? Because I believe that a lot of people walk in the world sexually unconscious, right? This is what I like. This is what I don't like. This is what turns me on. This gets me hard. This gets me wet. And this is perverted. This is gross. And this is really hot and sexy. And they haven't done the deeper work to understand what I call their sexual blueprint. Mm -hmm. So how did they become the way they became? How does that, that, that trigger, that fear, that word, that guilt, that shame, where did that come from? Because as babies, and I know Dr. Navaz, you know, you're having a baby this Thursday, or your wife is, and when this comes out, you probably already have it. So congratulations, and I wish you all the best. But when we have a newborn, they, they got two fears, the fear of loud noises and the fear of falling. So everything else has been a lured response. And so while you want to be respectful of your partner's boundaries, you know, you may want to ask them, hey, like, have you ever like thought about like where that comes from, and why that fear is or where that resistance comes from? And is that something that you know, you think would be helpful to like work through or deconstruct and substitute something that is healthy for you. And they're going to say yes or no. And again, we're all on our own journey of, I always say we're sexually evolving beings. So it may not be that time where they're like, yeah, I want to dig into that, but it could be something in the back of their head. They're like, oh, you know, I should bring that up or I want to do some work or I want to, you know, talk to Dr. DeWitt or whatever it is that, that they're, you know, willing to step into and do that work. So that's what I would say in a general sense about words and, and language. I love that mirroring and, and being able to um, make sure that it's something that your partner is comfortable with. Yeah. Um, and, and words that they feel comfortable using allows for a level of trust to be built very simply. And you're not just going out and and jumping three levels up from, from where they're at. So yeah. And, and listen, sometimes dirty talk is hot. You know, you want to like amp things up. You want to have some fun. You want to be cool. Like these are the things that you can use. And, and, and again, um, you know, setting that context and, and having that understanding and having that conversation is, is really important even before you step into that. If that's something new that you're going to be trying with your partner, because all of a sudden they're at work or, you know, whatever, they're in the next room working and you send them a text and they're like, what the heck? Like what's going on with that? 
So yeah, it can be a lot of fun and can, uh, you know, add some excitement into, into people's sex life. So awareness obviously is a really big piece of this and an awareness of, of your own personal feelings, how you are experiencing your sex life awareness for what it is that you want and for what is currently going on. Mm-hmm. I want to take a step into that awareness uh, mm-hmm. area and talk a little bit more about uh, awareness of what's going on with your body and awareness of what your body itself is trying to tell you and, and learning what those little triggers or those little thoughts may mean. I, I realize it's a really big topic, but let's yeah. let's start in dipping our toe in a little bit there. Sure. So if we look, take a like 40,000 foot view of this, if we look at sex and if we look at good sex and when that actually happens, it's when we're relaxed, when we feel safe, uh, when we trust the other person, when there's a level of connection with the other person. And that could be a love connection. That could be a lust connection. That could be a one night stand, whatever, whatever that is for you. It's a connection with another human being. And when those things aren't there, the safety, the trust, and that connection, our bodies are not going to respond the way they, you know, naturally would or normally would um, sexually. So I, I mean, I've worked with so many clients over the years where they come to me initially presenting with, you know, uh, dryness issues if they're vulva owners or, or erectile challenge penis problems if they're penis owners. And then we like get into it and it's like, oh, this isn't about like this particular part of my body that's not functioning or not quote unquote performing the way that it should. It's because my brain is not in a place. I always say that we have to have alignment with our head, our heart and our crotch. (laughs) And if those things aren't aligned, the chances of good sex happening, it's greatly diminished. So, you know, I talk about, you know, our, our, our ancestors, if they were running away from a saber tooth tiger, running, 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 they weren't running with like giant erections or lots of lubrication happening, right? They're like, holy crap, I got to get the F out of here. It's not a safe, comfortable, trusting, connected relationship when there's something at risk. So often people will, you know, present with different things. And the work that I do is like, well, what is actually going on? Again, number one, with the relationship with yourself, what is the stuff that's going on over here? And then secondly, what's going on um, inside of your relationship with your partner? And starting in those areas, um, for me, is what I do. The other thing, and I know, Dr. Navaz, this is your area of specialization, is I tell them to go see an expert. Tell them to go see your doctor, if it's, you know, Chinese medicine, if that's way, if it's functional, if it's traditional, whatever it is, but let's go to your doctor and find out what's actually, if there are some things that are going on for your body, it could be hormone levels, it could be stress levels, it could be all sorts of different things, but let's get a clean bill of health and then, you know, dig into the stuff that I specialize in. I love that. And yes, a great 40,000 foot view, obviously. It's something that if we wanted to, we could get into for a whole nother oh, sure. session. Um, but being aware that there are different types of stressors that will trigger different reactions, that there are both biochemical and physical triggers that could create that stress that doesn't allow you to experience the, the positive 
and, and the benefits of, of a healthy sex life, as well as the emotional and psychological triggers, whether there's a challenge in the relationship, whether there's something going on with your partner and there's some incongruency going on over there, or something that might have happened in the past that could create a psychological response as well. Yeah. So just awareness really being the key and seeking help where where needed and where necessary. And I think that is a, an amazing place for us to kind of step out of this from. I want to talk about, and then I realize it's probably one of the most common questions that you get asked. Mm-hmm. But as uh, relationships progress and, and continue for many, many years, I imagine that you, you get this question a lot. How do you keep the fire alive when mm-hmm. somebody has been with someone for 25 years? What are the things that you've heard and, and kind of what are the, the best tips you have for somebody who's been with the same partner for a very long time as many of my clients have? Yeah. Um, so there's a couple um, general rules that, that I would share. So one is always be in communication. If, even if you're not having sex, it's, it's just be like, hey, you know, I noticed that we haven't had sex this month and I just want to check in with you, see what's going on for you and kind of share what's going on for me. You know, because, God damn, and you're going to have two kids in like three days, right? And so there's going to be priorities. You're not sleeping. There's all sorts of stuff that you're dealing with, but there's somewhere along the way, the accounting or the mathematics of sex was taught to us that more is better, longer is better, bigger body parts or smaller body parts, depending is better. We need to be like multiple orgasms is better. All this stuff is like more, more, more. And I'm a big fan of keeping the accounting and keeping the mathematics out of your sex life and just chatting with your partner, just talking with them about what's going on. Because so that's the first thing that I'll say. So communication always number one. The second part is understanding that how your body responds and reacts sexually is going to change. Now, again, we've been conditioned that sex when it's like, our younger versions of ourselves, probably a few pounds less, maybe more hair for the Vazanai, you know, and uh, these young, virile, new, you know, bodies and and muscle and all that other kind of good stuff. That's what sexy is. And that's when great sex happens. And so we can often be very myopic in our view of sex and very limited in our view of sex. And as we grow older and grow older, potentially with a partner, I think it's always important to have an open mind and allow things to evolve and allow allow yourself to, number one, meet where you're at sexually, and then be able to create something that that works for your partner. The third thing I would say is look at sex like a smorgasbord, like it's a buffet, even though you can't have buffets right now because of COVID. But we, we often get stuck, stuck in the same sex dance, doing the same thing as if I asked you, if I asked, you know, your listeners, if I you asked me, it's like, oh, yeah, I say this thing or I do this thing or I touch my partner there or they say or do or touch something on me. And then this leads to this. And then we do this and then we do this and then I do this and then this happens and this happens. And then, you know, quote unquote, ideally, there's mutual orgasm and fireworks and like the orchestra in the background and then we go to sleep. Right. So there's some version of this sex dance that we do that we get really attached to. And as we evolve sexually, as our bodies change and evolve, that may not work for us for many different reasons. Our bodies don't respond. Your partner's 
don't respond. It doesn't turn you on. You've done it enough. Maybe it was really hot at the beginning or you tried something. And, and you know, I do a lot of talking about kink as well. Kink is just something that's new, right? Because after you've done the, that kinky thing that in your head, you're like, oh, damn, that would be hot, but I've never done that before. After you've done it for five years, it's not kinky anymore. It's just part of your sex life. So when you look at sex at like a, like a buffet, it's looking at it like not, okay, this is the one meal. Like, you know, you love pizza, but if you had pizza every single day for the rest of your life, you get sick of pizza. But we get this, again, this very narrow view of this is what sex has to be and this is what it looks like. Rather than opening up and diversifying that connection, we get so caught up in the vehicle of sex that we forget the destination. So you say the vehicle of sex is what it looks like. The color of the car, if it's, you know, got Wi-Fi in the car, if it's, if it's an electric car, if it has power, this, if it has all this other kind of stuff. We get so worried about that. We don't go, we don't get to our destination. Where our destination is like fun and connection and love and pleasure and all this kind of juicy stuff. We don't even get there because we're so caught up in, in what it looks like. And so I really encourage people to step into like looking at sex as a smorgasbord and exploring different ways that you can connect with your partner. And I think that's really powerful and allows things to stay alive and allows things to evolve with you and your partner or your partners, like well into, you know, I've, I've worked people in their like seventies and eighties that are still having amazing sex, but does it look like it did when they were 20? No. Is it still amazing and great and satisfying? Hell yes. So those are the, the, the top level things that I'd share with you. I love that so much. And I believe it all does begin with strong levels of communication and, and honesty and trust and safety between partners. And I absolutely love every minute of this conversation. I love every minute of chatting with you, Stephen. This was Thank absolutely you. wonderful. I highly recommend to all of the listeners, please Go follow Stephen on Instagram, on TikTok uh, at Dr. DeWitt. And please make sure you go check out his website if this is something that you're definitely interested in. I, I'm aware that working with Stephen is, is one of the best things that people can do for themselves from a sexual health perspective and being able to upgrade the way that they experience their sexual lives. Thank you so much for being here, Stephen. Uh, any last words from you? First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, last words, what I'll say is, you know, in this very interesting time that we find ourselves and, and life is so precious, nobody died saying I had too much great sex in my life. <laughs> and, you know, the pursuit of that and being able to create that in your, in your life is really embracing life and, you know, squeezing out all the juice that you possibly can from this life. And, you know, I think it's one of the, the most important natural self-expressed states that we can be in. And everybody deserves that. And it's a right of everybody. And I'm committed that each and every person has that. So thank you so much. What an amazing conversation. I will be sharing all of the tips and tricks on the show notes. So please make sure to check those out. Thanks again, Stephen. And yeah, have a great day, guys. Thank you.